Hey, it's Phil Simon. My new book is out now. It is called The Nine, The Tectonic Forces Reshaping the Workplace. It's my best work to date, and I hope that you'll check it out. Thanks. My house. What is John Hamm doing in my house? Yeah. Oh, hold on. He's, um, yeah, I should get this down. He's starring in a movie, and he's kind of, you know, shadowing me. He's ba- the character's based on me. So the character is a disgusting pervert? That's good. <laughs> it's actually not funny, John Hamm. Yeah. Oh, no, no, I'm not here. Uh, act like I'm not here. I'm just a fly on the wall. Just, hey, uh, new snakes? Oh, yeah. Good, Love right? them. How comfortable. Yeah. Conversations about collaboration, episode 36. Larry English joins me. He's the president of Centric Consulting and the author of Office Optional, How to Build a Connected Culture with Virtual Teams. We talk about trust, teams, culture, change management, and hybrid work. Let's rock and roll. Larry, where does this pod find you? I am in Columbus, Ohio. Yeah. Staying safe. Things getting back to normal over there. It is completely back to normal. And what's funny is we've had all these social events now and I'm out of social shape, you know? So I'm like, can I just go back and watch a Netflix show? (laughs) It's funny you mentioned that and we'll get to the topic of the pod shortly, but I've been out enough times in the last six, eight weeks since I've been vaccinated that it still feels a little weird to be either close to folks or to think things and not say them because it has been such an isolating time. I am elated because it feels so great to be back and you just miss those, those human connections and relationships. And, uh, I think the pandemic made you appreciate them a little bit more. Oh, right. I really don't want to get too far off script, but I couldn't agree more. I think that we're going to appreciate comedy clubs, sporting events, concerts. Oh, I can't wait to go to a concert again. Uh, And even to your point, just those micro interactions. Uh, and it's funny, you don't seem to have a virtual background for the video and early in the days I bought my green screen and was all about, you know, creative backgrounds. But then I realized that it wasn't really letting people into my world the same way that if I were in an office, you'd see a picture, right. Or, you know, another tchotchke, you go, Oh, you like that band too. Or I've seen that movie and you forge that kind of connection. Yeah. So we encourage people to bring their whole self to work and that's sharing their personality uh, so we love it when, when people do that, or when the, they put their pet on screen, um, we've embraced that for 20 years. Uh, what I will say though, is you do need to respect some people like the living situation. They might be embarrassed. And so they want to use a virtual background or they're traveling or whatever. And so we allow as much flexibility as we can for the individual. Yeah. I mean, you've been doing this for a while. Um, when I was researching my new book and had some folks on early episodes of the podcast, they were virtual or remote or distributed from day one. So the pandemic in a way didn't change anything. You make that point in your book, right? You were within a day, it was basically back, I won't say back to normal, but you experienced a fraction of the disruption of a lot of traditional physical companies. Talk to me a bit about that. Sure. So we, as you mentioned, we made the decision 20 years ago to go remote and because we thought it would lead to happier employees and better balance in their lives. And, and so the tools we're going to talk about that were not anything like they are today, but we could see that they were starting to get better and better. And so we've learned over the years, what works and doesn't work and how to, you know, have happy, strong culture. 
um, and collaborate really well synchronously and asynchronously. And so we figured it out. So we've known the secret, but nobody believed us. And so that's actually why I wrote the book because I kept having to explain it over and over again. And then the <laughs> pandemic happened and you know everybody's like, whoa, this is pretty great. <laughs> um, we should do this full time. And now I think we've, we've gone over the tipping point. Uh, we're not going back. Hybrid is kind of the future and everybody's got to figure out how to do it. I couldn't agree more. And there's so much to unpack in that fairly short response. Um, I know that some companies like say um, WeWork or uh, Citigroup, JP Morgan, uh, do want to go back to full time because what was it the WeWork a couple of weeks ago, CEO got some heat for saying, if you're not in the office, you're not hustling. You're not an engaged employee, less engaged. Yeah. It's obviously not been your experience. Yeah, so he backtracked on that. I think that his marketing team got involved and he completely recanted that. Uh, what's interesting about J.P. Morgan Chase is Jamie Dimon was, you know, early on was like, this can't, you know, old school, this can't possibly work. Uh, but here in Columbus, Ohio, is their largest, um, thousands of people work here 15 minutes from my house and they're they're coming back hybrid. So at any one time, they're not going to have any more than 60% of their employees in that building going forward. and so. What happened was, because we could see this, we were working with a lot of early adopters during the pandemic that said, hey, we're going to adopt hybrid going forward. But most people fence sat. And then they were pulling their employees and their employees were saying, hey, you know, it was around five or 10% were like, I'm not coming back into the office five days a week. That's the only five to 10% wanted to do that. So we're like, if there's a, if, if there's a domino effect and everybody starts to offer this because they're going to lose employees everybody's going to have to. And that is exactly what we're seeing play out. Now, what's interesting is a couple of um, our clients were like, often it's it's uh, the CEO or C-suite is like, hey, we're just, this is the old way we're comfortable with. We can't imagine how you could do this. We got by everybody back in the office and their employees are quitting like a lot fast. And they're, they have to say timeout. We, we're going to rethink that policy. Uh, so I think everybody's going to be forced to do hybrid. Yeah, it's a rising tide, right? Lifting all boats. I saw a stat, I think it was last week, about how on LinkedIn, their economic research team determined that the number of jobs with remote in the title uh, skyrocketed 547%. So even if your company says, well, we're not going to do it, other companies are, by definition, that makes you rethink your policy because a decent number of employees, never mind high-performing employees, could just walk and they don't have to move to take a new job. Yes. Uh, and what we're seeing is really the um, aggressive recruiters know which companies are not offering hybrid and they go after those people. Oh, that's interesting. Um, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. And then there's a huge talent war going on right now. Like I've never seen, we're seeing salary ex escalation like 30 or 40% in the tech world. It is crazy right now. So if you're not offering that for a tech employee, um, you're going to be sad. Hmm. So you've been doing this for a long time. You've instilled it into the company culture. Um, have you formalized collaboration with the title chief collaboration officer? I've started to see that and I have very mixed feelings about it. There's a lot of new um, titles being out there. There's like chief remote officer, uh, chief experience officer that would fall under that. We do not have a, um, a chief collaboration officer, uh, but you know, because we're a consulting organization, we have um, uh, we have an entire team that does uh, uh, collaboration tools. Uh, we install them for clients. We do the people and change aspect of it. Um, what's kind of interesting about the book that you're writing and what we found is 
installing a tool is 25% of the effort. The 75% is actually the people uh, learning to do it and the, the change that goes with it to do it right. Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> good thing I run the podcast. I can go as long as I want because I don't know if I'll stick to my 20-minute arbitrary minimum. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, if I had a nickel for every time I ran across someone, and this predates the, the book I wrote about collaboration, but just any enterprise technology, oh, we have this tool, ergo, we're awesome. You know, well, no, not everyone uses the tool or you've loaded the tool with bad data or the tool gets used inconsistently. And in the intake form, you wrote a little bit about overlapping, the overlapping nature of some of these tools. Um, I can't get away from that because I work with a bunch of different people and I already irritate folks when I say, I don't want to use email, right? So they'll come back with, all right, well, I guess we can use Teams, but that's as far as I can go. I can't say, well, I only use Slack or I only use Zoom or I only use Basecamp. So I have a bunch of different of these things these things open. But again, if I worked in one company, to me, that would be complete overkill. Discuss. Sure. So what we found when the pandemic happened, a lot of organizations, their IT department went crazy. They, they just installed all these collaboration tools and their employees were so confused about which do I use this for this or that for that. And so what we tried to counsel our clients on are the real value you get is when you consolidate all your departments, everybody on one tool, um, because you start to get the data, you start to get everybody able to collaborate. They see the same discussion that's going on. And so that is what we've been trying to get um, our clients to do. And I think a lot of them are starting to, to see that. I don't see why you wouldn't. I mean, it's a basic network effect, right? I mean, take a look at Facebook or LinkedIn. I quit Facebook four years ago, but that's a different discussion. If I know that everyone- I was two years ago. Okay. Uh, beat you by a bit, but uh, yeah, I just too toxic and you wind up getting into arguments and all the data breaches and security. I just, it, it made me really queasy. And I said to myself, I existed on this planet a long time before Facebook. If I want to keep in touch with folks, there are other ways. Um, but if just think about LinkedIn for a second, right? When I found out about you, I said, I'm sure that he's on LinkedIn. And guess what? You are and connected. And, and here we are a few months later. So the benefit of the network effect, as opposed to, well, which uh, network, professional social network is Larry on? Well, there is more than one Phil Simon and there's more than one Larry English. So yeah, eventually I could sleuth you out, but it was so much easier. And that same thing I would argue applies to these collaboration tools. If I know that you're using Teams, right? Then I'm not going to send you an email that gets lost in your inbox with 200 others. And then two months later, I haven't heard back from you and we dropped the ball on something. You're nodding your head. So something tells me I'm not completely off base. Oh, no, it's really interesting. Once we installed, uh, so we use O365 and Teams. And once we installed it, we saw email uh, go down 25% in one week. Uh, it was astounding. And then as we've gotten better and better, of everybody using the tool and using it effectively. I don't know what the percentage is now, but it's it's much, much lower. Like I don't go there for, you know, my internal company stuff. It's just external at this point. Was that a hard shift for some people to make? Because I don't agree with it, but I understand how some people say my inbox is my communication with everyone, internal, external, external doesn't matter. It's also my to-do list. It's also my source for sharing documents. And I think it really isn't a Swiss army knife. And yes, tools can become overwhelming if you use too many of them, but different tools are better at different things. I'm not going to send you a 75 megabyte file. That just doesn't make any sense. 
Yes. Um, so what I, I just think it's, you have multiple generations working together and certainly the older generation that's been doing this for a long time has just become so comfortable with email that it's a, it's a change issue. Like we were talking about before is um, it's hard to change. Uh, and, but once you train people and they start to see the value uh, individually and as an organization, they'll, they'll get there. Let's talk a little bit about training because in my experience, companies think that people will figure this stuff out. And yes, you don't need to be a coder to understand teams, right? If you've used a social network like Facebook or LinkedIn, guess what the at symbol does, right? It's not that hard to search. It's all very intuitive, but there are features that people don't necessarily know. And to the extent that they may be trying to replicate what they're doing in email in Teams or Slack or Zoom, they may be missing out on some features that are actually really powerful. Um, I've seen people say, yeah, we'll let the employees figure it out. Well, they've got other stuff to do professionally, never mind personally in a pandemic with schools being closed and all the other things going on. Uh, talk to me a bit about training. Is it just me or some people not recognizing the importance of holding a formal training session and saying your job this week or this day is to learn, not to do anything else, but to learn? Yeah, we we run into this all the time with customers where they're budget conscious. And so they're like, well, how much is it to install the product? And then all that other stuff, the training stuff and adoption and getting people to change, that's, that is, um, we're cutting that out of the budget. We're like, okay, but you're not going to get the, the value out of this, this tool. But I, I will, I will say, because every, every company has become a technology organization and, um, they're just adopting change so much that you have to be change ready as an organization. And so I think, I think it's starting to turn where organizations are starting to see that, Hey, if I'm going to install a new tool to, to get the ROI out of it, I've got added, I've got to add a change component to it. Uh, So the, you know, for us, certainly we train everybody on the tool, but it's not just, initial training, it's got to be reinforced and you've got to constantly be adding, um, you know, uh, adding new features or explaining new features. And so it's not a one-time effort either. I couldn't agree more. And I'd like to talk a bit about the nexus among leadership, training, culture. Uh, All of this is related, right? There have to be executives who are, I'll just make up a number, 58 years old, who, to your point, have been working in an office for a long time, have been using email exclusively. They're much closer to the ends of their careers than the beginning. They don't want to change, and they set potentially a pernicious example because, as we're talking about, these tools are so much more powerful when everyone uses them, but they don't. I mean, are there instances in which not using a tool and collaborating in this way warrant a serious discussion? And if that doesn't work, then it's bye-bye? Well, <laughs> a lot of times it's the CEO and their team right below them, so they're not going bye-bye. Um, but what we would try to show people is um, when our team works with them, they're like, hey, as executives, if you want adoption of this tool, you got to model it as an executive team. And we're going to train you and we're going to show you that. We've done that with a number of clients and that is by far the most effective way um, to work. It's got to start at the top. So as an example, if I'm, uh, you know, as we've moved to this hybrid world, a lot of the executives are like, I'm just, I'm comfortable with the hallway culture. I'm, I'm comfortable with an office culture. So I bump into you, we talk about it. I have an open door policy. You can come into my office. 
you need to replicate that in the online world. Uh, and you need to, as an executive, you need to be okay learning how to do that. And you need to use the tool just like everybody else is using if you're going to get true adoption as an organization. I couldn't agree more. If you've got eight people discussing something, say in Teams, and one person says, yeah, I don't do that. Um, and that person takes it to email, particularly if it's a senior person, it's tough to manage up. And then it almost becomes this race to back to email, in which case the knowledge gets bifurcated. And before you know it, it's where's this again? And you can't find it. So I, something tells me that, you know, it is important for those folks. It can't just be something that the, you know, the non-executives use. Yeah. And and you made a point about culture and I did not realize that good tools can actually help improve your culture. And um, I'll give you a few examples. We talked about training. So when a new employee joined the organization, he's like, oh, I can, because everything's a recordable history out there of how we talk and and engage. He's like, I see how everybody, how you guys treat each other and how you talk to each other. I get the culture. Um, So it was, it's been a great way. If you're doing it the right way, you can start to see um, uh, the the culture in the tools. And and I'll give you another quick example is we have a, a lot of veterans that work for us and we have a few get-togethers three times a year in the U.S. And so the veterans would bump into each other and they're like, I know there's some other ones here, um, but I just bump into them at meetings. I don't know how to connect with them. So what they did is they created a virtual team of all the veterans in the organization. And, and it's all just about fun connection. Um, you know, they share photos of them in uniform or their story or whatever. And now when a veteran joins us, the HR team tells them about that, that channel, uh, that team. And they immediately connect on there and they have a sense of belonging and tie to the organization uh, right away. Uh, we, I think we call them employee resource groups. Uh, but that is another example. You couldn't do that if you were a distributed company in the USA with multiple plants or whatever, multiple offices across the US. Uh, so there's some huge power in building your culture and the tools if you figure out how to do it. Yeah. And I don't think that it's an either or situation. You're not the first person on this podcast or who's spoken to me over the last you know, 18 months or so who said, you know, the tools are an extension of our culture, right? They don't replace it. So you, you might have, and you can see this, some, some formal organizations, they would never use a team or a channel to exchange you know, jokes, right? Because it's very you know, sort of buttoned up, but there are other cultures that are very informal. And yes, if you're, you're not going to post something in the announcements channel that thousands of people could see an inappropriate joke. And I'd argue you shouldn't be doing that anyway, because of you know, just being considerate to other people, but you will see the, I think the, um, the culture of the organization and the, the vibes of different groups. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that I talk about in the book, when you're a hybrid organization or you have virtual employees, one of the secrets to success and connection is building deep personal relationships with people. And one of the ways that we talked about this earlier, one of the ways to do that is sharing your whole self and your personality. So we want people to joke around. We want them to share their whole selves. We want, and certainly obviously you don't cross over the, the inappropriate boundary, uh, but there's, that's, there's a, it's, it's amazing what that can do of how you build a connection so much faster. If you know who that person is and what they're all about. I mean, it seems like this is one of the reasons that your company has been successful for two decades. I was just reading an article from the guardian that I saw on LinkedIn about how a big call center company 
was forcing employees to keep on webcams throughout the day. And I'm thinking to myself, I would be shocked if, to your point before about people leaving this war for talent, I mean, what better way to, to irritate your entire workforce? And I mean, I don't even know if that's legal, but I know when the pandemic hit, a lot of companies invested in surveillance software as opposed to collaboration tools. And I understand it, right? It's a mindset. But if you gave me a dollar and said you could spend it in one or two places, it'd say, give me a better collaboration tool as opposed to a way of spying on folks, but making them collaborate in quotes through email. So that's the first chapter that I write in the book is if you're going to have a successful remote culture, trust is the underlying uh, foundation of that. And so I do see a proliferation of those tools right now as a reaction uh, that are fairly sophisticated, that are taking screenshots of employee, you know, every second and they're, you know, paying attention to everything. Are they sitting at their desk? You're not taking advantage of remote. And And the reality is after doing this for 20 years, it's never an issue. What the issue is, is people work too much because they don't have the natural boundary. So they're, you know, not only are you going to lose your employees, you're going to have a, a terrible culture. So I try, I beg people don't go that route. Yeah. You mentioned this in the book, the ability to people to take a three month sabbatical or to pick up their kid from soccer at two 30 in the afternoon. I mean, you were ahead of your time and I'm not just saying this to, to suck up or anything, but it does seem like more and more companies are realizing that, you know what, we've been through this very large work from home experiment. And, and but for what the statistics I've read, people have been more productive. So if you don't trust them to work for you, period, then it's okay if you can watch them code or at home. It just seems like there's a disconnect there. It's just, uh, there's some company mindset. It's, it's I think part of the the, uh, migration to this new conceptual way that people are just having such a hard time doing it. So I'll give you an example. My wife was having lunch with her friend and the lady's like, I can have a 45 minute lunch, but I have to be back at my desk because the computer's monitoring my lunch hour. And I'm like, and I was like, well, how's that going for her? And she's like, well, she's looking for a new job. Um, that, you know, you're going to lose your, nobody's going to be happy. You're going to trust people. They, they, Everybody, I, I get the same question around hourly employees. Um, can I trust them? And the answer is yes. Um, if you trust people, it, it'll be fine. The issues are elsewhere. Couldn't agree more. Good stuff, Larry. I'll get you out of here on this. What book are you currently reading? Ah, uh, well, this was recommended to me from one of our women leaders, uh, and it's called "That's What She Said." what men uh, need to know and what women need to tell them about working together. So for us, uh, one of the George Floyd event initiated a series of internal discussions uh, that were so impactful to us. And uh, so we have a huge initiative around um, diversity and inclusion in our company that we call Centric Together. And it's been transformational for us. Uh, and certainly one component of that is uh, women in our leadership, our leadership ranks were close to hiring at about 50, 50 um, men and women, but we need more women in our leadership ranks. And there are um, some unconscious biases and other things that uh, we need to um, build because at the end of the day, we're going to be more successful if we look like the United States. And so that's, we're really pushing hard for that. And it is, uh, it is a lot of work. And so anyway, I've just started this book. I'm excited to read it because it, it's a, a kind of a fun new way to look at things. 
Great. Larry, thanks for being on. I really enjoyed it. Oh, my pleasure. It was super fun. Remember that these episodes drop every Tuesday. However, if you'd like early access to them, you're in luck. I've launched a Patreon page for this podcast at, wait for it, patreon.com forward slash Phil Simon. I've set up a number of different tiers, including early access and podcast sponsorships. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Collaboration. If you like what you heard, then how can you not? Please download, like, and or subscribe. See you next time. Remember that these episodes drop every Tuesday. However, if you'd like early access to them, you're in luck. I've launched a Patreon page for this podcast at, wait for it, patreon.com forward slash Phil Simon. I've set up a number of different tiers, including early access and podcast sponsorships. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Collaboration. If you like what you heard, then how can you not? Please download, like, and or subscribe. See you next time.